This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Bruns, doing a real quick hitter here on Friday. Have not really had a chance to kind of talk through Nebraska, picking up Walter Rouse from Stanford on Wednesday evening. Brunts, I got to be honest, this is now the second time where I just felt like the the Huskers were going to come up just short on an offensive line transfer, you know, in the first being Ben Scott, and they walk away with both of the Pac-12 guys. The one that I was the most confident on would have been Micah Mazuka, and they didn't get him. Is this just a, a further indication that I know nothing? You're uh you're kind of like the reverse jinx. I mean, that's what we've learned. You're like the cooler, but but not in some ways. Uh, yeah, I I think in that of that crew, I felt the best about I felt the best about Rouse. I don't know why. I don't um, know either. Tell us why. Yeah, I, Scott. I didn't feel great about. You know, obviously he had the Nebraska connections with with. I mean. They're up in your neck of the woods. Um, <laughs> Which I didn't even know existed <laughs> until basically the night before when I think that connection is what basically put the news out there. So I, th- I think you're, I think you've probably sat next to him at Glurs before, if I had to guess. Um, I have. I, I went backpacking with his uncle for two weeks in New Mexico. That's, well, that's how strong my connection is, apparently. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Mazuka was a tough, was a tough read. Like, I, I would have felt pretty good about Nebraska's chances. And I, and I did, I guess, going up to decision time. Florida was kind of the weird one, though, because we were talking to people in our network and they were not they had zero confidence that, that Mizuka was going to end up there. And it was I think they were as, as surprised as everybody when that happened. So um, but Rouse, I felt good about I felt like. You know, I, I think the, the NIL component was important. I, I an important piece of it. I think, I think of the situations that he would have been walking into. I think Nebraska probably offered the the clearest path for an immediate um, immediate playing time, which he obviously wanted. And I think, you know, just from you know his experience, personality wise, what I've gathered from reading Brian's updates on him he just seemed like a guy to me that would fit really well with Matt rule and his staff. I don't know it. And, and it's maybe, maybe I'm speaking out of school there um, without knowing the staff really well, but he just seemed like a guy that would fit. And I think when you kind of factor all those pieces together, that's maybe why I felt, felt uh, 
Nebraska. I, I always felt like when you know the the discussion was Iowa and Oklahoma, and they were ahead of Nebraska. I just felt like Nebraska was always in it a little bit more than maybe what the uh, what the buzz was at, from the beginning. So you mentioned that you kind of felt like he fit with Matt Rule. I sort of reverse engineered it in my brain to think it might be a situation where a guy who's attended Stanford for four years and just wasn't really, you can kind of speak to this in a way that very few people on the planet can because you've, you've been there. That's not college football. Like that's not like, as we think of college football, like, yes, they play the sport. They're part of the the PAC 12, but that atmosphere for those home games is not college football. No, I, I wonder if, a guy like that looks at it and it's like, that's why he looked at three Midwest programs. That's why he looked at three places that are going to put fans in the stands. Even if the team's not great, there's still going to be support there. I do sometimes wonder, and this isn't like, you know, to pat Nebraska fans on the back for showing up to all these games. I do sometimes wonder if guys that go into the portal that have experience somewhere else might simply just be looking for, what it's like to go to a place where people care, you know, and care at a really high level. I I don't think it's the biggest thing by any means, but I do wonder if that was a small part of the whole package. I think it, I think it matters a little bit. I mean, when you kind of really dig in, I mean, where where are the places in the PAC 12 that you're going to get that, that experience, Oregon, maybe Washington, you're getting it at USC. Sometimes. Um, Sometimes depending on how good they are. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stanford, especially what Stanford's been during his time there, um, it's, That's it's, what they've a, been. They've been it's a, it's a friends and family crowd probably would be the best way friends and family and, uh, concerned alumni. Um, I could see that being a piece of it. I, I, I wonder that too, another guy entered the portal that's got, you know, connections to Nebraska staff, Omar Spates, a, a linebacker at Oregon state, who's been great um there as well i i do wonder if you know guys get into that situation and and kind of start looking around on saturdays and they're watching games in the sec or games in the big 10 and you've got you know one hundred ten thousand people at a game i mean there's probably guys that think like okay i I can play at that level and i want to kind of know what what that experience is like and I, I mean, I, I think that there's probably a little bit of that in the back of Rouse's mind. And I think, too, you know, I know Stanford's put a lot of guys in the NFL who are offensive linemen. I know that David Shaw's got an NFL background when he coached him. But I, I think that that more than anything, too, was just, you know, Matt Rule's staff saying, this is this is the picture for you. This is where you need to get better. Uh, we'll get you there. I mean, that, that, that was, I, I think, a pretty powerful pitch that they were able to make. Yeah, among the many reasons why I'm kind of an idiot is I didn't really fully appreciate how players could sort of look at Matt Rule at Nebraska and think this is a guy who was just coaching in the NFL. If he tells me that I have the potential to play on Sundays, that's going to mean more than if, you know, pick a random college football coach says it because he was just there. Like he can talk to you in a way about, what an offensive line looked like in the NFL that maybe a coach can't at a different school, even if they produce those guys, because it's just like, he, he just has that sort of visibility aspect to it. And I, I mean, I, I, 
I've certainly acknowledged the fact that that could be part of the package, but I don't know that I gave enough credit to the idea that some of these transfer portal guys might simply just like the idea that this is a coach that knows what an NFL roster looks like yeah. and sort of knows what it, you know, and, and I think it was Evan Cooper who was asked about it yesterday in terms of recruiting. And he kind of commented on that. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, when you are watching film and you're breaking stuff down and you know what it's like that these receivers are in the NFL or what a Stefan Gilmore looks like, not just because you're sitting there watching it on your TV on Sunday, but because he's on the sidelines and you can watch how he works and what he does. I, I think I've underestimated the sort of value that some of those guys, even a Garrett McGuire, you know, they mentioned yesterday in that podcast, just like, or podcast in that press conference would have been a real interesting podcast. Um, <laughs> Why are all these people here? <laughs> yeah. You know, like he's working with a DJ Moore and a Robbie Anderson. Yeah. And you know, DJ Moore is a really good wide receiver and Robbie Anderson's a, a multi-year NFL veteran. Like there's stuff that Garrett McGuire simply knows and can talk about that is going to be enticing to recruits. I, it, I'm amazed that I didn't put that together enough in my brain for the value that that might be to a kid in the transfer portal whose goal is to be in the NFL as much as it is to have a good senior year. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's kind of the flip side to the hand wringing about the amount of experience that McGuire and Rob Dvorak have at the college level. I mean, they're, they're in their twenties. Um, however, you know, when, when guys would be, you know, doing a GA job, like, you know, at, at McGuire's age, he's, you know, serving as an assistant, uh, an, an assistant position coach to the NFL. I mean, that that's a, that's a completely different experience that you can talk to recruits about. And I think that matters. I mean, and it, I, I think if you're going to present your program as a developmental program too, to have the chops and the resume behind it to say that we also a lot of these guys coached in the NFL. I mean, I, I think that just adds credence to, you know, the the relationship that you're trying to build. And I think too, I mean, let's be honest with the transfer portal, transfer portal recruiting. It's a different recruitment. It's a faster recruitment. Guys are getting hit up by, you know, 10 and 20 programs the second they hit the portal. And you, you need something to kind of break through the pack, so to speak, and certainly connections, past connections are an easy way to do that. Another one is, you know, that you offer something a little bit differently in terms of the kind of staff that you are and how you see things. And I think that, I think that has helped Matt Rule's staff a lot uh, to get them into conversations with guys, um, you know, and and especially when you can kind of back that with the NIL piece with uh, the fan support and, and maybe a different experience than what guys had had at Stanford or, you know, they had a, the kid from, you know, Rhode Island, that kind of thing. Like it, it, it's a, it's a different pitch that they're making. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Walter Rouse is on the mend with labrum surgery. He's probably not going to be involved this spring for Nebraska. Yeah. What does that mean to you? as you kind of size up Nebraska's offensive line situation uh, kind of moving forward, because it, it does feel like that guy's not coming here. If his name's not in Sharpie at left tackle, you know, like just, just in his own sort of quotes, right? Like, yeah, 
I mean, they, they talked to him that he would play left tackle and that's a giant conversation that can branch off to a lot of different ways, but just, just stick with the, the labrum thing. Does it matter to you that he may not really get to do stuff with this team until the summer? I don't think it in for just Walter Rouse. It doesn't concern me a ton. Like, yeah, you'd want to see what he can bring to the table in the spring ball. You you want him developing a little bit of chemistry with whoever he's, you know, going to be next to. But the I mean, the guy's played over two thousand collegiate snaps. He started thirty nine games at Stanford. I, I I think he understands what's going to be going on um, in in fifteen spring practices. The the thing that concerns me a little bit is, and we've talked about. I feel like we talked about this on every podcast we've done for the last month. Um, so, you know you're rearranging chairs in that offensive line. And I think not having Rouse in there at least makes it a little bit more difficult to kind of have that, that picture set of what that line's going to look like. Because I mean, if, if Rouse is your, your left tackle, you've got three guys with tackle experience, Prohaska, Ben Hart and Corcoran that could potentially play right tackle. I think you'd ideally like to move Corcoran inside maybe playing next to Rouse and, and you'd like to see what that kind of looks like. And you're not, you're not going to be able to do that. So I, I think it takes a little bit of imagination. I'm not concerned about him, you know, not being able to get up to speed. Um, he, he's obviously very smart, uh, has played a lot of football. Uh, it, it's just kind of fitting the other pieces together. Um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult not having that full picture. It's kind of, kind of like, last year a little bit too, where they went through the spring without the full complement of guys that you were expecting they were going to count on. Am I wrong? No, I don't, I don't think you're wrong at all. I mean, you're talking about, they didn't have Teddy Prohaska for most of that spring. And so, um, you know, I think that's, that's a big part of it. And and what they do at Prohaska is going to be really sort of fascinating because is he definitively your now right tackle um, or is there someone else that ends up in that role? And, and, this isn't necessarily me asking you to answer that right now, but I, I do think that it, it presents kind of an interesting conundrum for Donovan Rayola as he tries to find that best five and who sort of fits as that right, that right tackle for them. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a, who, I guess who in that mix of guys are you most interested in? Because, I think there's a couple guys that are kind of that I would put right along that like five to seven line for, you know, the the best five that that at least intrigue me a little bit and, and kind of what's going to happen to him. Henry Lutovsky's one that I'm I, I wonder kind of what the, the mix up means for him. Well, it's him and it's Nori for me. I mean, because Nori was pretty good in 2021 and it seemed like he was cemented to be your left guard in 2022. And then he had his suspension and he missed all of the season. And I think he had an injury in there too, that I don't think has been discussed a lot, but he had to have, um, you know, if, even if he wasn't suspended and that injury still could have occurred, Nebraska still might've been without him. So um, I, I wonder, because I guess in my head, I'm just assuming this is finally Corcoran at guard. I don't know if it's left guard or right guard, but I'm assuming that he has one of those spots. And then it becomes this like all out kind of brawl battle for who that other guard spot is. And you could go a number of different guys, but I think it's Nori or Henry. And, you know, dare I say it, maybe they're going to rotate them. Maybe Nebraska gets back into the days of, 
rotating its offensive linemen, much like uh, remember when that was a huge deal. It's it's now always no a, really. It's it's only a big deal when there's there's changeover, right? Like whenever right. there's a new coach, it's like Mike Cavanaugh was like basically crucified for not rotating his offensive linemen, or sort of like kind of chiding the idea when it was brought up to him. Um, and now, like, that's not really a thing that happens unless Nebraska's just kind of stunk and they have to rotate those offensive linemen because there's really – you don't know if there's that big of a difference between your starter or your backup in some of those spots. Yeah. Yeah, I, last year, I mean, they basically rotated Bando and Lutovsky on the regular – you saw a little – I mean, Ethan Piper's another guy that's in that conversation at a guard spot. I mean, he's – somehow, is, isn't he like a sophomore still? Like, he he's basically in like his ninth year in the program, and he's still still only a sophomore. Yep. Um, but, I mean, that that's another guy that's in that mix. But it, it's uh, – the rotational conversation is always an interesting one. And I think I, – I think largely depends on – your, your comfortability with, with guys that you have and how many you could actually play. Cause I, I mean, even Greg Austin, like w- would talk about, you know, I, I feel good about this many guys or I'm going to play this many guys. And it, it's just, uh, you just don't see it a ton. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many defensive line coaches have talked about how they're going to rotate their guys up front and usually it just ends up being, you have four guys that take like most of your snaps unless there's an injury. So yeah, yeah. I think rotation always sounds good. But then you're in the middle of a game and it's like, you really want to put the backup in here when you're already down a score, you know? Yeah. Like it's just, uh, it's just one of those things that I think sounds better than what works out in reality. But who knows if you got that many options, maybe that's something for them to consider. All right. Uh, we're, we're running up against it here, but I do want to get this question to you because I believe you were able to, to watch and, and pay attention to those two uh, press conferences yesterday. What what initial thoughts do you have, if any, from either EJ Barthol or Evan Cooper or both? Uh, well, I mean, you see why. I, I think you can see why they're on the staff. I mean, I, they're young, hungry guys. Um, you know, I I, I think Barthol is going to be really good with, with Nebraska's running backs. Um, my biggest takeaway from him was the the line that he had about how they they basically love the room that they have. They were not going to pursue a running back in the portal. Um, I also noted, and I know that that he, you know, was a Bergen guy, but I noticed that that he was quick to mention Ramir Johnson right from the jump, um, and and that should not go unnoticed when they start talking about you know rotations and snaps and that kind of thing. So um, that that stood out to me that that they really liked that group. I, I mean, I w- would you say that running backs probably the the best position group overall along in the on the offense right now i got asked this question on a radio show on friday morning it's and a i made that question i'm sorry yeah i no 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 i made a dodgeball reference like I, all i could think of is you know when they say that steve the pirates are best player and vince vaughn's like we don't even know where our best player is i i feel that way about nebraska's like kind of position groups it could be running back but i mean there's so much unknown in the transition of this staff when, and what sort of jolt some of those other groups could get. Like maybe it's the defensive back room. Like maybe it's something else. I, I I'm just sort of allowing that it could be other positions, but I do, 
I do like the depth that they have at running back. I mean, I, I feel like they have real options there. And as someone who complained about it for a long while over the last five years, it's nice to see that they have assembled a crop that has stuck around for a little bit. Yeah. And then it, Evan Cooper, what stood out from his talk with for you? I had a couple things that I kind of mentally circled, but but what was what was the big thing for you with him? Well, the big thing now is I want to find a time to get some of those uh, scouting reports he put together at eight years old because <laughs> I want to know what those look like. Uh, anytime a guy says that he grew up wanting to be Mel Kuyper Jr., my ears perk up a little bit because yeah. that's sort of a unique thing. I mean, he's definitely a, a football guy uh, through and through. I he uh, I, I don't know that you can get a whole lot further than just the comment that he feels like he has NFL guys in that room. And I don't know if he's talking about Quentin Newsom. I don't know if he's talking about, you know, the body type of a Deshaun Singleton or a Miles Farmer, um, you know, because I don't know that you and I would say that about Nebraska's defensive back room right now based on what they currently have, uh, though I do like Quentin Newsom quite a bit. Um, so maybe that's just bluster, but I, he doesn't really strike me as a type that that's going to just throw that out there for no reason. Like I – both of those guys, they have different styles. They commanded that that press conference really well. You know, I mean, you think about it, neither one of them have largely been in a situation where they're having to answer questions with 45 people sitting there staring at them. Um, that's a unique thing for, for any position coach, let alone two guys coming from places like UConn and Baylor and, and being, you know, assistant coaches, but not the assistant coach in the NFL. And I thought they both handled it really well. Um, you can see that they're going to, and I'm combining it now, but you can see where they can build relationships and establish relationships really quick. They're both quick witted. I don't know if you you picked up on that too. I, I really enjoyed it. They were, they were both very enjoyable. Yeah, I, I was, uh, I was th- I was thinking of, of some of the commitments that Evan Cooper got. Um, the, it, I wanted I regret I, I'm really bad apparently when I take photos I don't ask questions but I regret not asking him how he was able to get Bryce Turner to commit by just texting him. Yeah, well, I mean, it was that one. Um, the the kid from IMG Academy, the defensive back, uh, sincere, sincere. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the same way, like really short recruitment committed without seeing the place like that. That's not those are not easy commitments to get, um, regardless of what the kid's situation is, or what the offers are. And I could see where he would click easily with uh, w- with recruits. I, I think either of those guys. But I, w- I was thinking of Bryce Turner, especially where. You basically have a text conversation, and it ends with the kid being committed, which uh, is a, is a good uh, good recruiting file story. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we already went longer than I planned, which is yeah, normal for the course. We no, do. that's okay. Anything else we want to uh, to attack? I, I do want to spend a couple minutes on Nebraska. We know of has at least two tight ends that'll be in this weekend, and they have a tight end that's scheduled to visit next weekend, which could be part of the 2023 class as well. Tight ends are now all the rage because Bob Wager is is it Wager or Wager? Uh, Wager. I thought it was Wager. Yeah, Bob Wager, now Nebraska's tight end coach. Just kind of run through those guys for me, Brunch. You've kind of been our, our go-to guy for the tight ends, as as it should be, because you're going to pick all of them to click. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm basically scouting. Um, so so let, let's start with the portal. Um, Brett Seether, uh, he was part of Georgia's national title teams. Um, unfortunately for him, um, stuck in a very talented uh, tight end group um, there for the Bulldogs. He hit the portal on Tuesday. Uh, gonna be in in Nebraska on Friday. Um, he was he's coming up last night, I guess. Uh, probably gonna be a quick decision just based on um, enrollment times. In, enrollment times. Nebraska's is a little different because they've got the they've got like the intensive J term thing now, so they don't actually start until the twenty third. Um, I guess you could technically push that out to like the thirtieth if you really wanted to uh, as the last day to enroll in the semester. So. Uh, anyways, Nebraska still searching for help there. Uh, not, not a ton of, you know, statistical output at Georgia, but a guy that, uh, was well-regarded. He chose Georgia over uh, Alabama out of high school. So, uh, obviously that's notable. Um, we'll go with 23 next. We'll just keep going in class order. Uh, Ismael Smith Flores, um, obviously a very familiar name to, uh, Bob Wager, um, he coached him at uh, Arlington Martin uh, High School down in Texas. He's played one year of high school football. Um, that and with basically a year of film, um, has gotten offers from Iowa, Nebraska, Rutgers, um, picked up Vanderbilt, Indiana as well. Uh, more of a flex hybrid um, tight end. He played wide receiver his one year, but Nebraska sees him as. Uh, a guy that you can use as a receiver, or you can move him around on the, in the offensive sets. Um, and with them not adding a scholarship tight end so far uh, in the 23 class, that's definitely one to watch. He'll visit the the weekend of the 20th. He's at Rutgers this weekend. Um, 
his dad was uh, an he was an Iowa defensive lineman, a unanimous All American in the early nineties. Uh, he says Iowa is still in the mix. I don't know how much uh, they they actually are. Uh, and then today, uh, Friday, as we talk, uh, Ian Flint, I believe is his name, mm-hmm. um, coming up from Texas. His sister is actually uh, on the track team. Um, she's moving in, transferring from Cal to Nebraska. So the whole family is coming up to move her in. He's going to be visiting Nebraska uh, today. He's also a thrower, a big, a bigger tight end. He's about 240, 250 pounds, um, big bodied kid. Mom and dad were both on the track team at Nebraska. A lot of Nebraska connections. He's very excited about the Nebraska visit. He's going to visit Kansas tomorrow, but uh, I've had a crystal ball in for him for basically since Nebraska reached back out um, in, in December. So I think that that could potentially be an early commitment in 2024 for the Huskers if things go right. But uh, it's, it's kind of like tight end weekend. Um, and, and, you know, Nebraska needs it. Let's be honest. I mean, the, you don't have much returning production and uh, need to kind of rebuild things there as well. Uh, I want to, this wasn't where I was going to go with it, but I just had this question pop up in my brain. What are your expectations for Thomas Fedoni? At least got to get on the field first. Uh, that that would be right. a good expectation. Um, I think if he can, if I think if he's healthy, I think they can find ways to use him in this offense as a flex, a flex guy. I don't think he's going to be your inline, you know, Big Ten road grader tight end. Um, and I think they have guys on their roster that can do that, so he doesn't have to. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I've kind of recalibrated my expectations for him given his injury history. Um, I think he can be productive. I think he, he's got talent. It's just, he just had such a bad run of injury luck. I think, and I think his head's in the right place too. I mean, I think he wants to be the guy that everybody thought he was when he was the number one tight end in the country. But, um, it's just so hard to know, uh, when he's just had these, you know, setback after setback with the knees. Absolutely. All right. I think that's a good rundown of everything. Um, I don't know that there's really much more to, to add. It feels like, Brun, you know, this was a big week for Nebraska, especially if they end up walking away with this tight end. You could potentially have three portal additions that are all guys that basically come in and, and you know, with, with Brent Seether, he doesn't have a ton of experience. It's sort of like the Stefan Wynn thing from last year. You're getting someone from a good program that's depth for them, but could be a starter for you. You don't want to put too much in terms of expectation with it. But I, I sort of look at it like this could be a really big week when we look back at kind of the story of 2023. If you're talking about getting a Billy Kemp that could be one of your top wide receivers, and you're talking about Walter Rouse solidifying of the left tackle spot. And if you go out and you get a tight end and, and you're able to at least add some options and some depth there, it could be a really important week for Nebraska. Do you have a number one transfer portal edition as as things stand right now? Like the guy that is most crucial in your mind. Uh, I don't know if there's any individual player. I mean, I when you tipped me off to hey, keep an eye on Omar Spates, I we went down that uh, path, and that's a really productive defensive guy um, in a spot where he could be really valuable, and and depending on how Nebraska you know, would want to use its defensive room. I, I don't know. I mean, 
I don't know that there's any individual player. I'm like, they, they got to go out and get this piece. For me, I still would like to see Nebraska find another pass catcher. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I know people feel comfortable with Marcus Washington. I feel like you need to have at least one more option there as an outside wide receiver uh, because it's really thin. I mean, it's Marcus Washington, it's Elante Brown, it's Billy Kemp, and a whole lot of what have you done here so far, you know? Um, that's, if, if anything else, maybe Thomas Fedoni ends up as a wide receiver for you or split out more because of it. Like if, if he's able to stay healthy, there could be some options to split him out simply to just to get another body on the field that has a little bit of size to him too. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think you're right. I think wide receiver is still a big question mark. I, I I'll be eager to see, you know, in that second portal window in May, what it actually looks like. Cause I, I think you're going to have guys getting in the portal that maybe ended up on, on the depth chart, or maybe they didn't think they were going to. Um, and you might be able to kind of sift through things there, but yeah, it, you need, you need more production in that room. Um, you know, maybe maybe you start seeing more names pop up, especially now that you have a full staff and a wide receiver coach name. But um, in, in terms of guys that are in in the transfer class now for Nebraska, I still I would put Ben Scott um, up number one for me in terms of additions that they've added. Rouse would be probably one A, but I think I think, I think that's when fair. You, I think when you go in and get guys out of the portal who are established offensive linemen. I think that's a really good way to turn things quickly. Power five established offensive. Yeah. Like yeah. That's there's, there's even just an added value to it. And that's not to take away from an, a Johnny Conorius who would have been a really big pickup for him had they gotten him in that first period. But it's just to say that the experience of a Ben Scott having already taken a lot of snaps and gone against power five level competition is super valuable. And that center spot has been, you know, we've made joke about it. They, it feels like they, they finally kind of have it. I mean, you could have a nice little run there where you go Jurgens, Hicks, and Ben Scott for what? That's like a seven-year stretch or a six-year stretch. Like that's pretty good, you know, yeah. compared to to what it had been leading up to that. So I, I definitely agree with you on Ben Scott for sure. Um, how many? Here's what I struggle with, and I know we're, we're trying to get out of here shortly, but um, how many spots do you think are left of, of, of what they would take out of the transfer portal? Is it is it five, six, two, 19? Well, you, you got to get to 85, and you're <laughs> – how many over right now? I mean, you're, you're pushing 90, right? Right, yeah. Uh, over 90. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's – I think there's room for the right guy. Um, I really believe, I mean, I, I think wide receiver is a, a position of need still. Um, I think if there's, it's kind of like the best available. Like if you see a guy pop in the portal that you have connections with, or you think you can be competitive for, I don't, I don't know that at this point with the roster that, that Matt rule is going to say no uh, in, in terms of pursuing somebody. So I think they have to be selective. I think, I think that uh, they've addressed quite a few needs, but I, I think uh, I think maybe, maybe defensive line, that would be another place I would look, but I, I don't think there's a ton of needs remaining um, yep. that, that they really have to have. But I, I think I think for the right guy, they'll make room. 
No doubt about it. All right, Brunsk, we said it was going to be a quick hitter, and we went about 32 minutes. So, yep. as always, Husker 24-7, no one's willing to lie to you as much as we are, and we keep our reputation that way nice and strong. Be sure to check out everything we got going on at Husker 24-7, plenty of coverage throughout the weekend. If you haven't read it yet, BC, great – I thought a great column, kind of just sizing up what Matt Rule has put together – on his staff, uh, including a, a nice lead about just uh, the bitterness of January days in Nebraska when it's that cold. So be sure to check that out if you have not read that. And there'll be more coverage as well. There's a basketball game tonight. We're not making predictions on this podcast. No. We're probably never doing a, a basketball prediction ever again, or at least, you know, for this week. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that plays out. There'll be coverage on that. There'll be coverage on the recruits that are in town. Nebraska's coaches are on the road. E.J. Barthel was at uh, Taft High School in Connecticut. Um, he put like a Nebraska medallion on the statue of the founder of the high school. And there's a photo of that now on, on Twitter. These coaches are going to pop up at different places. We're going to start talking about some 24s and some 25s and some 26s. There's going to be some interesting in-state stuff going on. Brunch, you and I are going to go to a showcase in Omaha on Sunday. We'll have some thoughts on that, I'm sure, on the podcast and on the website as well. So it is always busy at Husker 24-7. Plenty of content. Be sure to check that out. We'll be back with another podcast next week.